Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. My background's in, uh, in mental health and like people in, like working in an institution, helping people who've obviously had some serious conditions over the years. Uh, this is going way back. Um, and someone said like amazing, I mean, your professional change from working in an institution and, and working with people with, you know, Psychotic conditions, etc., and said like, and then he went to the church. That's incredible. I said, no, it's no difference at all, really. <laughs> it's all the same. We're all the same in and out. Doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. But so often we think that you know, oh, people they have no, no, no. We're all the same, irrespective of what <laughs> so-called institution you may live in. But the reality is, people are people. God gave His heart for people. You are here today because that transition, that transaction of a relationship, took place at some stage. And uh, by that grace and by that love that He has given to us that we are here today. So, we're going to get into it and uh, I just want to open in prayer and then we'll get into the Word and we'll unpackage uh, this message this morning. Father, I thank You that we can gather, we can worship You, we can give into the house of God. We can gather, we can be alongside one another. But Father, more importantly, I pray that this is not just another meeting. This is Your house and Your people. And Lord, I pray that your goodness, your greatness, your life and your love exceeds and will always go far beyond what we can ever expect. And I pray this morning that people will not just hear, but they will experience your presence and your power. They will be encouraged and they will walk from this place with their, again, their vision looking a little further, their outlook looking a little higher, and they themselves will feel the hope and the possibility of tomorrow in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, some of you may know this gentleman, the gentleman by the name of David Cassidy. Some will, some won't, but that's fine. Uh, for the more mature people like Vince, where's Vince? Vince around here. There's Vince down the back. We went out for dinner with Vince and uh, Jen, great night, and with the team. But, you know, David Cassidy was, you know, it was in the 70s, like the Partridge family. If you don't know who I'm talking about, it doesn't matter, Google it, not now, later. Um, but, you know, they were, and he was like, you know, as an artist, he was incredibly good-looking guy, all the, had all the women and, you know, all those sort of things that was a young man's like, why don't I look so good? Why don't I look as good as he? You know, I had this, I actually didn't like the Partridge family myself, but, but again, he was a global phenomenon in some ways, the Partridge family, all these wonderful gimmicky songs, but fascinating, lived an incredible life, a great entertainer, etc. But at last year, like November, the end of last year, he passed away and in his passing, um, he said something, his final words, and today's message is really last words. And I'd like to pose this question to you. What would be your final words and to whom would you speak those words? Final words are powerful. They are the sum total of what your life has been about. It's not just, oh, you know, well, I guess I'm going, bye, see you. No. Everything that you would say in those final words are a sum total of your purpose, your focus, your love, or your fears. Final words. And David Cassidy's words were fascinating. And again, here is a man who's outworked, had obviously his, his world, he had a number of abuse issues in his own personal alcohol abuse, drug abuse, etc., etc. His family was quite disjointed, had a number of children, but again, got, dis, got separated and a whole lot of things in his world. But his final words was quite fascinating because the sum total of his life of having notoriety, fame, 
entertainment, acknowledgement, etc., was simply this, so much wasted time. Fascinating. His final words are like, that's the sum total of his life. And who was present? One daughter that he, Katie, who was there, and they had been estranged for a number of years, but she turned up, no one else, no one else. You can spend your whole life building a career, yet you have nothing to ultimately say of great value and to whom, because people aren't there because your life of influence came to nothing. The power of your final words will be the sum total of, of your life. Here's some interesting final words. Winston Churchill, a lot of us will know about him, the great politician of, and again, a, a leader in a time of war. His final words were simply this, I'm bored with it all now. To some total, like that's his whole life was building and, and creating and strengthening and holding together a nation uh, in a time of war, but it's like I'm bored with it all now. It's a sum total. No mention of his wife. I love that. Interesting history when you look into his family. What about Leonardo da Vinci? You love him. He said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. I guess the Mona Lisa is not good enough. Here is a man, phenomenal artist, creator, inventor. He did so many things. The Mona Lisa is still the most recognized piece of artwork on the planet today. And here he is looking at it because it consumed him. What consumes you? What consumes your life? Who would be present in your final days, in your final moments? Who would be there alongside and what words would you say to those people alongside you? Another interesting gentleman, I love John Wayne. He's the guy who was back in the 40s and 50s. He's the guy who cleaned out the towns of all the bad guys. And, you know, it's just a Western. He was the Western king. His final words was to his wife. He's third, by the way. But his, final, his, his wife, he says, you're my girl and I love you. No mention of his career. See, people's focus and intention, what's really important comes out at the end. Final words, final statements, passions, focuses, loves, and fears. Even a, a gentleman, which Thomas Paine, a revolutionary who he was a deist, and deists were people who believed God created, then stepped away from his creation. There was no such thing in the 17th and 18th century as an atheist. That's more of a current term. Had incredible insights about things, but his final words simply went like this. He wrote the Book of Reason, which is basically just removing God from having any interest in man at all. Incredible words. He says, stay with me for God's sake. I cannot bear to be left alone. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, God, what have I done to suffer so much? Fascinating. His final words is he's been pushing God away from himself and others. But in his final words, he's introducing God back into the equation. Oh, God, hello, come back. Fascinating. You can spend your life pushing people away, but ultimately, in the end of your life, you'll be wanting people to be drawn to you. The saddest day on the planet is that you pass away and no one is present. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, God, what have I done to suffer so much? What will become of me hereafter? I would give worlds if I had them, that the age of reason had never been published. Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. Lord, help me. Benza writes article and pushes people from God. 
yet in his final moments, he is again calling upon God to come near to him. Voltaire, the incredible, again, he was an atheist and he would declare that even all the way through before atheism was actually a well-respected term. He said this in his final moments of his life. He said, I'm abandoned by God and man. Hello, I thought you didn't believe in God. You just said he doesn't exist. Now you're, oh God, I've been abandoned by you. Fascinating. I will give you half of what I am worth if you'll just give me six months of life. He was talking to his doctor who told him I can do no more. He said, well, then I shall die and go to hell. You reject a spiritual world and now you're acknowledging every aspect of a spiritual world. Fascinating. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. You may say there is no God. It says in Psalm, only a fool says in his heart there is no God. Why? Because you cannot deny your maker's makeup and your makeup of because you have been designed like him. Phenomenal. And then it said that during the evening and that night, all night long before his final breath was taken, he cried out for forgiveness. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. Incredible. Fascinating. You can pose and strengthen your position of where God stands in life, but your makeup is basically you are designed and made in the image of God. You have the same attribute. You are not God, by the way, just to remind you, just in case if you are, oh, I'm feeling like I'm God this afternoon. No, you're not. You're just a naughty little boy. Let me tell you, Brian. Again, we are made up in the image, and no matter how much we try to push away the concept but the older you get and the closer you become to the moment when death will actually knock upon your door, how will you approach and how will you answer that door? Fascinating. And here we're here this morning because of, not because of what other people have said, we're, we're basically gathered here today because of words which were communicated and spoken. Some of the most profound and powerful words spoken by someone who we actually have worshipped, have believed in, gathered together, were literally because the words of Christ, which were spoken to every single one of us. We have gathered here this morning because there is something, there is a commonality, there is a like-mindedness, there is a heart, there is an acknowledgement that there is a God, and His name is Jesus. Fascinating when you look through His life and you look at His final words, and He makes seven statements from the cross. Seven, cross, uh, seven statements on the cross in His final moments over a period of six hours. But this all starts, and to understand the context of what is taking place here, is at 3 a.m. In the, in the early in the morning, he is arrested, and for the next three hours, he is tried. Men have come and accused him. People have come and falsely made claims against him. Yet he said nothing to defend himself. In those three hours, all things were communicated. In those three hours, those who said... I'll never leave you. They may, but I never will, aren't present. People making incredible statements. Of, well, I'll never leave you. I'll never move away from you. How often have we said that to one another when they've gone through a challenging time? In church life sometimes. When church is going through a, a challenging moment. Oh, everyone abandoned ships, you know. Why? Because the perfect place is not perfect. There is no such place as a perfect place in this life. It is in a life in which you embrace by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Church is not a perfect place. Why? Because it's not a perfected people this side of heaven. 
That is church. That's why we gather. We don't go, oh, I'm not going to that church. Wow. Well, they're just, they're just not right. Huh? But there's too many problems. There's too many. Hello. Hello. Look in your own family. Woo. Not in the perfect McCutton family, of course, you know. Yeah, we went out and watched Zachy yesterday. Six goals. <laughs> that boy is into life. <laughs> 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. He is accused. He is. Friends have denied him, stepped away. No one's present. Then, for the next three hours, from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. in the morning, he is beaten and brutalized like we cannot even imagine. We see pictures of Jesus on the cross like... You know, with just a few trickles of blood and a little bit of blood from the side and quite a romanticized approach. I mean, look nothing like that. Most scholars would say, even now, today, they'd say, like, we've seen The Passion. You know the movie that came out, The Passion, The Passion of Christ. And they said, like, that is still nowhere near what he looked like in the brutality in which he had. You would not even recognize his face from the brutalization his body, literally, skin has been ripped from his body. Unrecognizable. Yet he comes to a place and makes incredible statements in a place in which people have forgotten him. People have said, I'll never leave you, have walked away from him. How often have we done that? I'm not just talking about God, but people who we stand with on a Sunday. Just because sometimes there's something is said and we walk away. The answer isn't walking away, it's facing and acknowledging where you're at. And the greatest place to be is in the house of God. Here he is on the cross, rejected by men, betrayed by his friends, accused falsely, yet he remains true to his purpose. And then upon the cross, he says incredible things, seven incredible statements which are communicated. The sum total of his whole life is in these seven final statements. The very first one in which he says comes from Luke 23, verse 34. And it starts and says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It starts, which is what the gospel is about. The gospel starts with forgiveness. The reason why we sit here today is because we have felt the power of those words. It doesn't like, well, what are we going to do? If I was the Messiah, it'd be a little bit different. If I was upon the cross, after being brutalized, all my friends had rejected me, all the things falsely accused, the way I'd approach it, I'd be up there going, right, I have identified every single one of you. And upon this cross I may be, but I'm coming back for you. But in the meantime, Father, wipe them out and let's start again. That's my Jesus approach if I was the Messiah. Not a good approach, right? Aren't you glad that I'm not the Messiah? I would do that until we got it perfected. And we know you cannot find perfection this side of heaven. But again, incredible statements. Jesus makes that statement like, forgive them for the... They knew exactly what they had done. Jesus was willing to look beyond it says, look beyond offense, look over an offense. Why? Because offense is offense. It corrals you. It keeps you confined and restricts you. In church, we've got to learn, oh, I just want to follow Jesus. We'll start following him like him. 
choose to step over some of the things which don't add up. Church is not the perfect place, I'm sorry, but it's the beginning of a life and a future which is phenomenal because you have a hope, you have a future. Forgive them. Forgiveness is the ability to forgive those who persecute us, but more so even those who have actually betrayed us, spoken against us, and even worked against us to pull us down. Yet, Jesus still held true. I choose to look beyond the weakness and the frailty of man because I have come for every single one of them. Incredible. Every man, every woman needs someone greater than themselves. Sorry, no, no, I'm it, I'm it. I'm the kingpin, I'm the kingpin. Good luck to you. One day you'll feel like, I need somebody. Help, help, help. You may feel strong one day, but there will be a day where you do not feel that strength. Everybody, every human being on the planet needs someone greater than themselves. Why do you think religion gets a, a good run globally? I'm not talking about Christianity. Everybody needs someone greater than themselves. Every religions exist because man feel inadequate and missing something. What? It's the relationship with the living, loving God. And the living, loving God is this God upon the cross who gave up his position to come to us. No other religion on the planet has ever done that. No other religion has given up their lofty position to come and walk, then be crucified. No other religion offers that except Christianity and what Christ has done. The second thing he says from the cross, which I love, is this. You see, there was two men on his left and his right, and, and one was sort of cursing him, saying, if you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, why don't you get yourself down and get us down too? And then the other criminal on the other side said, we deserve what we are getting. We are being crucified because our deeds match. They align, but his does not. He is an innocent man. Fascinating. He recognized this in his final moments of life. And in those final moments, Jesus simply says this, and today you shall be in paradise with me. Basically saying, your acknowledgement of me now empowers me to tell you that you now have the life that you truly need and have been looking for, and that is eternal life. What's that all about? It's never, ever, 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 ever too late to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. While there is breath, there is life. While there is life, there is hope. Yeah, but you don't know my Uncle Bert, Pastor Greg. Oh, he's a bit of a case. He used to knock up my, my auntie pretty badly and all the kids hated him. Hated him. Yeah, nasty man, terrible man. I saw him a few times and he just cursed. He just cursed. I've never heard anyone swear. I can't even think what he was really saying from all the swear words and Jesus and Christ and all those words. He cursed. Terrible man. Terrible man. He's gone to hell for sure. I saw him only a couple of days before he died. He's cursing God, cursing everybody, hates everything. He's gone to hell. How do you know? How do you know? Who made you judge? of other men who actually gave you that position or right to make a comment like that it's not your place our place 
Vista never, ever, 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 ever give up on other people. But hold your position, hold your ground. This is the gospel. I'm a Christian. Well, start to outwork your life as if you were. Offering forgiveness where sometimes it doesn't deserve. Yet we choose to step over an offense, not be corralled by an offense. To stand in your position and hold your place. Why? Because, you know what? It's not all about me. Ultimately, I have found him, and in finding him, I have found new life. And in finding new life, I hold on to the greatest gift that I have, and that's that Jesus steps into my life, which allows my vision to be lifted, my ability to see further, and hold my position of the possibility of tomorrow. Jesus gave his life. Never, ever, ever give up on people. While there is breath, there is life. While there is life, there is hope. And let me tell you so often, you say, look, I prayed and nothing's changed. Why have you stopped praying? Why have you stopped being a light? Why have you stopped being that person who does influence? I'm a witness, I'm an evangelist. I don't care if you're a witness or an evangelist, just be an influencer in the realm of influence that you have, which is starts in the home, moves into the area of influence, workplace, schooling, whatever it may be. And the reality is, is your light turned on? Because a lot of people go on, well, it's been on for a while, but I need to save electricity. Boom, turn it off. Trying to cut down on the power usage. No, no, no. Your light is, should be permanently on, not shoved under a bed or pushed out of sight when it was truly lit. The third thing he says from the cross, I love this. This is the bigness of God. These things are important to him. It's important to reconcile man with God. It's important to him to say, hey guys, you know me, don't give up on them. I've never given up on any of them. I've never given up on you. I thank God stepped into my world on the 4th of February, 1976, when I'm doing LSD up at King's Cross, totally off my mind, and he gets into my world because my sister never gave up on me by praying, believing, and keep on being a witness in my life. I wouldn't have had it. I could have died countless times, but her prayers, her words, and her position to be unmoved that her family shall come to Christ. She's the mother Teresa in my life. I thank God for my sister. John 19, verse 26 and 27 talks of upon the cross. He's taking on the sins of the world, but in the, that moment, taking on the sins of the world. What's happening? I love this. God. Oh, wait a minute. Hey, Mom. Look, I'm going to be out of the picture for a while. And John, thanks for turning up. Not like the rest of them, but thanks for turning up, buddy. Look, John, do you mind looking after Mum? And Mum, look, I'm, I'm going, but can you look after John for a while? What does that say? Final statement from the cross, what's important? Final words is what is important in life. He's interested in relationships in this life. He's interested in family. He's interested in that you have community that you don't have to do life all on your own. And it was literally, again, why we gather on a Sunday. People come in these doors and they go, hey, but they can be living some of the most unhappy, separated, lonely lives on the planet, even though they smile. And Proverbs says, the face may have expressions of laughter and happiness, yet the heart is broken and feels separation and isolation. Incredible. Value upon the family, the value of family. The other thing I love that, 
is that within the context of that whole thing is the honoring of family. He wasn't there to say, well, I'm the, the Messiah and you're just my mother and you just carried me. So thank you for doing your job. No, hey, mum. Hey, mum. That's again, bringing honor to his mother. We've lost the concept of understanding how honor fits these days. Sometimes like, you need to give me honor. No, no, no. Honor is one. People will honor you if you win it. And you have to think in your own home. Will your children honor you? Yes, they will. If you're one, then to the position that they will bestow honor. And it's mas- fascinating if you look at it. Part of the Ten Commandments, guess what? Smack in the very first relationship, which is mentioned in the Ten Commandments. Smack in the middle. What is it? Honor your mother and your father. So that you will live a long life and things will go well with you. The power of bringing honor. This is a message in itself. No time to go there, but a great message. But the reality is the power of that is to bring honor to those that deserve honor. It's just not by title, but because of what they've done. Like a Brian Annette, I could honor them for the rest of the days of my life because I've seen what they've done, what they've been through, where they are, and what they continue to do. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Honor needs to be given because they have and continue to do, even though situations and circumstances have changed. The next thing it says upon the cross, which is phenomenal, I love this. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wow, what's that all about? Do you know this is the only time that Jesus uses the term, my God? Every other time it's Father, 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 Spirit, Father. Never my God. What's that about? He's actually identifying the relationship of the power of three. The Father, the Son, and obviously himself in the equation, a triune God. No time to get in theology, but the reality is he uses those terms. And the fascination of that scripture and the number of thoughts around it is incredible. But to break it down, and because of time, it simply goes like this. Why have you forsaken me? Was he saying, oh, you've left me, guys? What happened? Father, what happened? I thought you were on my side. No, no. He's not saying that. He's simply going, Father, Holy Spirit. I understand what the power of sin now is. And what he was feeling in that moment is what sin does to people's lives. It's not a boogeyman jumping out behind a tree, scaring the living daylights out of you in the middle of the night. No, sin is simply this. The power of sin is to create separation. Jesus was calling out, identifying feeling the fullness of the power of what sin's ultimate goal in life is, and that is to separate, to isolate, to remove. It starts in the home, it starts in our own life, starts in the home, but it spreads into communities. And the power of sin will bring separation, which ultimately no man was created to be alone. It said and to Adam, and it is not good that man be alone. Why? Because he was never meant to be alone. God was never alone. Before he framed anything, he was never alone. The power of that is phenomenal. No time to go there, but fascinating. What Jesus is feeling, he's not feeling like the Father had left him or the Holy Spirit. He's feeling what the power of sin. I'm feeling, my Father, I'm feeling what sin is trying to do to us. But I shall stand, I shall take it on, and I shall overcome it. The power, and again, why do I need to be forgiven for my sins? Because every little sin 
large and small, which builds in your life, creates a barrier and a distance from those that you love. The next thing he says from the cross, which is, again, he says, I thirst. What is that about? Very simply this. When he says, I thirst, he says, I understand your thirst, your desires, the challenges that you personally face in life. These are seven statements, very carefully, well thought through by Jesus to make final statements because these were the things which were the highest of value in his understanding of relationship, in his understanding of his relationship with us. Incredible forgiveness. The ability of, of being able to, again, never give up on people, to hold our position in life in all circumstances. And again, consider that family is a term which is not separate from the church. It is the church. We are the family of God. We gather because we are not just families. We are a family. And in a family, you are willing sometimes to overlook challenges, difficult situations, to actually unify and build strength. Sin's whole intention is to create separation and division and again, move people into position where they do life separately. And the saddest thing on the planet, if you really think about this, ultimately sin will drive people to a place that they live isolated lives. And when you are living an isolated life, removed from life, without relationship in life, all, all sorts of thoughts go on in your body. Your biochemical structure changes to the place that everything is dark. There is no light any longer. So ultimately, you may get to the point that you consider taking your life. Of course, there is no way out of your isolation, loneliness, or darkness. And some people go, well, that's okay. No problem. If I go to hell, no, no, I'll just go down there and party with all my mates. We're just going to have a one big party. Big party It's going to be awesome. Catch up. I haven't seen some of them. Catch up with them down there. It'll be great. No. You won't see any of them. Hell itself is so vast that every single person is so isolated. The isolation in which we may live will be intensified in a means and a way in which we have never truly understood or can even imagine that you are living in a position of darkness, isolation, and constant fear which overwhelms you 24-7. I mean, I'm just going, oh, I think I'm getting out of that one. I think I'm getting back in the light. <laughs> I think I'm getting my, my life right with God. Simply, I don't want to live like that. I enjoy people. I don't want to live a life separated. No, you're not there with your mates. Sorry. It's too vast that you live in a life eternally completely isolated, separate in darkness and filled with a fear you cannot even imagine. The next thing he says from the cross, he says, I understand where you're at, guys. I understand your desires. I understand that. But then he says this. I always thought this was the final statement, but it wasn't. It was the sixth statement. He said, it is finished. You'd love that. I've preached a million times. Most preachers have preached trillions of times. It's finished. Great, it's finished, it's finished. But really, what is it saying? It's finished, it's all over. No, no, no. He's not saying it's all over. He's simply making a very powerful statement which we don't even see the power of the statement. And the statement goes, it is finished. Because you think, you see, because all, all the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the Romans, all the rest are like, yeah, we've nailed it. Even in hell, the devil himself is like, yes, we've done it. No, he's simply saying, it is finished. I choose when I depart, not you. What does that mean? I'm in control. That statement is not one 
a closing statement. It's basically a reassuring statement. It simply says this, I'm in control. What about you? You look at your life, well, it's out of control. Where's God? He's in there. I'm pretty sure it says in Deuteronomy, Hebrews, I'll never leave you, nor shall I ever forsake you. Meaning, I don't give up on that which I've given my life for. The church exists. We stand in relationship. We celebrate. We have hope. We unify vision, purpose, and an outcome of life because we have an incredible hope. And the most incredible hope is simply this. He never gives up on you. But look at my circumstances. Yes, I know. This is one of the best statements I heard this years ago. God does far more behind your back than in front of your face. But we only measure whether he's with us according to what we see, not to what we know or believe. And what we need to believe is he's in control of your life and your circumstance. Yeah, but I know. Let's line up. Let's have a queue of yeah, buts. I've got, I'm in the queue. But what about this? And what about, I don't know. But he hasn't given up on me. And sometimes we tie his hands because we give up on us in that relationship. The power of that relationship is irrespective of what is transpiring, of what is happening, what appears to be, he is working diligently on your behalf. Why? Because he never gives up on you. And the final things he says from the cross, I love this. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. All of Pharisees and Sadducees, like, we've won, we've got it, he's dead, he's out of the way, we can get on with the business. Now that final closing comment is amazing, really, because he said, look, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. You see, the gospel starts in forgiveness, but it closes with trust. The final statement that he uses is, I entrust, I trust you, Father. How about you? He's forgiven me. Yes, I'm forgiven. But I'm not sure. What promises has he said to you? He said this, but it, hello. Where's trust? Trust. You see, no one can be forgiven unless someone greater than you offers forgiveness. And by the way, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is the offer. It's a one-way street. It's whether we reciprocate that forgiveness has the power to bring release. Forgiveness is offered to all men, not some, all. How we respond to that forgiveness opportunity. But at the end, so God does that and we, we acknowledge that, but what's our responsibility in this? It is simply this. God, I don't understand what's going on in my life. I have no idea. This happened the other day. That relation broke down. I was in church and this went on and that went on. And oh gosh, I'm not sure. I have to go, you know what? I see all these things, but I choose to trust God. Because he still said, and I will build my church. And everyone says, oh, God's just going to do it. No, he's not. Fascinating that he used Peter. Not Peter, you're going to be the Pope, sorry. That's, that's a bit of incorrect theology. But he says, I build my church on people. I don't build it on buildings or structures or formats. I build it on people. I need, I just need one person to actually go, yeah, I believe that, and trust you. When he says, I will build my church, okay, I'm going to believe that. Peter, even then, still going through his challenges, still goes back to that point. Again, irrespective of what took place. And you know what? 
One of the most fascinating stories, I'll close with this, is that God, the only one that can forgive us is God. The only thing and the responsibility we have, because some Christians come to, they give their life to Jesus and say, well, God, you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. He said, well, why aren't you doing, why aren't you working with me? Well, how do I do that? Trust me. Trust me. Begin to outwork. Faith is like not something which is stated. It's an action which is accompanied by a belief. We hold our position. Trust. I'm going to trust God, irrespective on what I see. But in all of that, one of the most powerful statements, I think, Oh, sorry, illustrations comes from the new beginnings. And the new beginnings is that the crucifixion was necessary to give us the opportunity to feel the power of what forgiveness offers to separate us from the power of our sinful past and life, which helps us strengthen us, see the future and have hope again. But in all of that, it's fascinating because Jesus can do so much. As I said, we need to trust. That's our part. That's our portion of the relationship. But as you follow in John 20, and you follow the story of, in verse 1, I talked about the next day when Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and, and all the rest of it. It's fa I just find that fascinating because it says, next day Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. You know what I think when I, I read that? Where's all these disciples? Here's this woman, this chick's turning up. You know, but where are these disciples? Oh, I don't believe you. No, 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 I'm faithful to the end. They've given up. Why? Because they're reading things incorrectly. Jesus said, how many times did I show you? How many times did I tell you? Yet you still did not see and believe. Fascinating. But in that place, she rocks up. Why? She's the only one that had an encounter with him. Peter, you see, you can see church. You can hear church. You can be in church. But it's about Mary Magdalene was set free from several several spirits of infirmity. Not adultery, by the way. Not going there. Another story. Mary Magdalene felt the power of church. Felt the power of Christ in church. Never underestimate of what can take place in this meeting even here tonight. You want to say, oh, good message. Thank you, Pastor Greg. Thank you. I haven't finished. I'm watching the clock. I'm being truthful. I'm being faithful. I'm following what has been asked of me. But I know God doesn't need to take years to do things. It may appear to us to take a long time, but in a moment of time, He can bring an incredible, powerful moment as Mary Magdalene encountered. The day the church takes the power out is the saddest day on the planet because it's then just a show to be watched and listened to. But the story I want to finish on is that the disciples aren't there. Mary Magdalene runs and goes and talks to Peter and John, the disciples, I find this fascinating. They had at least turned up to church regularly enough that they were still in the habit, even though Jesus got himself crucified and buried, they were so in the habit, in their disappointment, to still turn up in church. Some people go, oh, no, it didn't work last week. I'm not going back there anymore. You see, we don't develop a lifestyle. We are creatures of habit for a good reason. Habit frames habit, which can allow or giving God the opportunity to perfect the beginning of a new work. doesn't always happen overnight, but in a moment of time, like Mary Magdalene, something takes place. In that moment, they were still gathered in the house of God, disappointed yet still in the house. And then she says, someone's flogged Jesus, boys. 
churches. They've taken the Lord. Someone's flogged Jesus. Not only has he got himself crucified, someone's gone and stole him. Incredible. Sometimes we feel like that. But you know what I love about this? There's one thing, and this is the church and what this church stands for and what we stand for as Christian believers. Yes, I'm saved, I'm forgiven. Yep, I understand the power of sin no longer has that. I'm in relationship, I'm in family, I'm gathering in the house. But one phenomenal thing takes place is that it says, and Mary Magdalene goes to the disciples, to Peter and John. I think, what is Peter doing there? He just cursed God like no man has on the planet. Not like I don't know him. No, he re- Jesus was listening to every word that Peter had said and had denied and rejected God like no man could. And Peter, when he was committed, he was committed. He could curse. Yet, within just hours, a few days, he's back in the house of God. How did he get there? Jesus, no, Jesus isn't in the picture. How does Peter end up in the house of God when he's denied God, rejected God, Push God out of the picture. If it was me, I wouldn't be going to church. He didn't get a revelation. He didn't get an epiphany like, wow, Jesus, look at me. No, nothing like that. The guilt and shame of his action had overwhelmed him. Yet, there's good old John. Good old John. You see, the house of God sometimes becomes an exclusive club. And we just turn up because we're here. But I can guarantee there is a Peter who needs to be in the house. And it's not because Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus is the answer. But we need to have the Johns back in the house to gather the Peters who feel like they are failures. They are no longer. They have abandoned God. They have abandoned friends. They have abandoned family. There's a John. That's what we need to introduce in the house of God. I'm going to pray that the spirit of John, the heart of John. How did John approach it? I reckon he sort of went like this. Pete, you're a flippin' idiot. Why, I can't believe in what you said. Whoa, whoa. Come on, come back. Where else are you going to go? I don't know. Come back, come on. I can't believe you said all that. Anyway, that's how he got back to the house of God. That's why he's in there. Read it. It's in the Bible. But so, so often we think he just turned up. No, no, someone brought him. The house grows, the church grows, when we start to consider the words in which we would speak value of those words that we need to speak to ourselves, our families, our circumstances, and our friends. And never give up on the position that, again, Jesus has never given up on us. Let us, again, rebirth within us the spirit and the heart to reach those that have been called to us. Amen. Can we all stand? I'll pray two prayers, and then I'll close. I think at the end of the service, if people want prayer, I'm going to be down the front here and happy to pray for anyone who needs prayer at the, after the close of the service. But firstly, with every eye closed, I want to ask this question. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus. I have no idea. I, I don't know. Melissa hasn't given me an update on everybody in the place. No, no idea. I don't know where you are in that relationship but he knows exactly where you are in that relationship you may have come to church occasionally come and gone yet you feel 
that possibly you've never actually asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You've turned up at church, but you've never said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Forgive me. Or maybe you have, and you have stepped away from that relationship. Maybe because of stuff that happened in church. Maybe people disappointed you. Maybe offense. I don't know. But he does. So if you have never made that decision to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, or if you have, and you have stepped away from that, and you have heard this message of hearing what Jesus has done for us, which again has awakened within you, turn the light on again in your disappointment to reignite that relationship. I want you to raise your hand in just a moment as well. And every service that I do, I'll ask this question because Jesus went to the cross to pose this question. He went because he wanted to reconcile relationships with all men, all women of all ages, of all nationalities. So if you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, or if you have and you have stepped away from that relationship, I want you to raise your hand right now. Just lift up your hand and say, Pastor Greg, that's me. I just want to ensure, I just want to get my life right with God here this morning. If there's anyone at all, I'm not going to delay that, but I want every single person. Thank you very much, man. I want every single person in this place. And we're all going to pray this prayer in just a moment. And I saw that lady's hand, but he saw that lady's hand and he acknowledged that. But we are all going to pray this prayer because I want every single one of us in this place to ensure that we have aligned ourselves correctly with him. Righteousness is being rightfully positioned in our relationship with Jesus. So repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I ask you today to be my Lord to be my Savior, to forgive me, to make me whole. Save me. Save me. Because I am forgiven. And you are the Lord of my life. Father, I thank you that right now that as we have all prayed a prayer, which again just has aligned our hearts, our minds, the gathering in the house of God, unifying our vision, our hearts concerning the future of the possibility. And Lord, I speak a word in the life of this church. That this house shall grow. But it shall grow not because of what you can do. It's because we have gone and we have brought and we have established and we have been the John to the Peters in this life. And Father, I pray for every single person. I pray awaken in them, the men and the women, the families, the young and the old, which may have stepped away from you or never known you, place in their heart an awakening of those that you have called to them so they may lead them to the house of God, to a relationship with the living, loving God who has given all every single one of us. And Father, in Jesus' mighty name, you know us better than we know ourselves. In this closing moment, 
I pray in this atmosphere, I pray we agree that there is healing in this house for every single person, physically, emotionally, relationally, in Jesus' name. Let healing begin from this day forward. Lord, I pray in Jesus' mighty name that that which we cannot do, you can and shall do on behalf of all of us here today. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.